The female participation rate is the same it was 35 years ago. Stop talking about, I've got a graduate program or I've got a cadet program or I'm going to employ women. You actually need to have fundamental systemic change because the time for talk is over. Welcome to Building Doors. In this series, you'll develop the skills to build a roadmap for success, get inspired by those leaders who have come before you, and give you the confidence to stop waiting and start building. Welcome to the Building Doors podcast, Alison. I have personally followed your journey as an outsider, and I've felt inspired about the change and legacy that you've been building. I really wanted to get you on the podcast to share with some of the listeners the way you've been able to impact the industry and in the hope that it inspires others to do the same. Alison Myrams is the founding chief executive officer for boutique tier one construction company, Roberts Co. And it aims to build a better way for workers. The company was founded in January 2017 and within the first five years, it had 280 employees and a workbook of over 1.5 billion. Alison is an inspiring leader around diversity, inclusivity, and workplace physiological and psychological well-being. Having worked in the construction industry for 25 years, Alison is deeply passionate about addressing the systemic issues that exist in the construction industry and attracting and retaining more women in the industry. Prior to establishing Roberts Co., Alison led the New South Wales ACT Regional Business Unit for Lendlease for their building business for nearly three years. Prior to joining Lendlease, Alison enjoyed a successful 16-year career at Multiplex, rising from contracts administrator to regional director. Alison is also a member of the TAFE Commission Board and on the advisory board for AeroPM. Alison is also an active mum to her nine-year-old son. Welcome. Thank you. What a background. <laughs> that was a fun one to do and I pronounced it all good, so we're good to go. Thank you for joining us. I really feel and it resonated with me that you've had such a successful career to date and one of the things I'm sure the listeners and myself would be interested in knowing is give us a bit of an overview of some of the significant moments that I guess led to you choosing this industry and kept you in this industry. When I was born, my grandfather was a quantity surveyor. Mm-hmm. I never met him. He died before I was born. But he raised my father to say, look at that building, look at the architecture, look at the cranes. And dad raised my sister and I in the same way. My sister's a civil engineer and mm-hmm. I'm a builder. At school, I was very good at sewing. I won the three-unit textiles and design prize. Nice. So people thought I would have gone into fashion. But if you think about it, sewing and building are the same thing. You're following a pattern to make something. It's just a different medium. Yes. So when we grew up, we went to an all-girls school. We were not taught girls do this and boys do that, and so we were taught girls could do anything. So it wasn't until I got to university where I suddenly thought, oh, there's no girls. Day one at uni was pretty confronting with a room full of guys. When I started out, I wanted to be a quantity surveyor and my dream was to work in a consultant office and have beautiful clothes and beautiful shoes, and that was my ambition in life. (laughs) And... I started out in a QS division in an architectural practice mm-hmm. that you now know as Architectus. The team I worked for, they left and started a new business and they said to me, we found you a job at a project management company, went there for 10 months, got made redundant and they said, we've spoken to Multiplex and you should go and work for them. Mm. And I said to them, I've got no interest in ever being a builder. Yeah. Didn't want to be a builder, went to the first interview and they said, okay, this is what's needed. And I said, oh, I don't work Saturdays, I water ski. That was what my family did. We were born and bred around water skiing and I said, I'll work any hours of the day and night, but I'm not working on weekends. Yeah. And I failed the first interview. 
And yeah, failed the first interview. And then they rang me back and said, okay, that didn't go so well. We want you to meet someone else. And I was all of 22. I was living at home. I had no financial commitments, but really felt like I had to have a job. So I thought, well, I'll go to the next interview and I just won't mention Saturdays. I'll get the job and I'll deal with that later. And that's how I went into construction. It was not planned at all. It was not a career aspiration to be a builder. Yeah. Why have I stayed in it? Because I love it. It's enormously addictive. Yeah. The feeling that you get of being in a team, if you could bottle that and sell it, you'd be worth more than a drug dealer. Mm. And if you look at the impact of building what we build might be today, but what happens in that building impacts generations. Mm. So I worked on the Chris O'Brien Lifehouse Centre years ago. Mm -hmm. If they find the cure for cancer in that building, in a really small way, I have contributed to finding the cure for cancer because we've built a building that brought the best researchers in that found the cure. So the ripple effect of being in construction is so great Mm. and that's what I love. Yeah. I think it's really interesting that it was something that you didn't necessarily pursue, but then when you got into the industry, you were hooked, right? And there was great things about the industry that appealed to you. Looking back on it now, if somebody, if a woman or somebody that maybe hadn't thought of construction was listing right now, what would you say they should do or be looking at to try and create some opportunities? Where could they start? We take a lot of girls in work experience Mm -hmm. in school and one of my girlfriends from school reached out the other day and said my daughter wants to be an apprentice and I think she was thinking a joiner apprentice to make furniture and I said to her well bring her out to site we're building Meadowbank school and we took her around and her eyes were like dinner plates they're on stalks and she came home wanting to be she said I just want to be like Ben who was our general foreman oh so she got on site she saw how it worked You get a feeling when you walk on a construction site, it gets to you or it doesn't, and it really got to her and she got bitten by it. Mm. So she's now going through her, she's finishing her HSC, she's studying at TAFE at the same time, Mm -hmm. and we've said to her, when you finish, we'll give you a job Mm. when you're ready to study. So go and experience it, go and do some work experience. If you know people in the industry, talk to them, talk to them about their job, what do they do, what do you like? It is an amazing industry and I've travelled the world. I haven't worked around the world. I've been to so many countries because of looking at a job or looking at a material or talking to a client. I have had the most incredible career. Yeah. And I think one of the things that has been noted and that you have been doing since founding Roberts Co is some of the things you've wanted to change in the industry as well. And uh, the five-day working week is definitely one of them. Obviously, you're mentioning Saturdays and physiological and psychological well-being being so important. Tell us more about that process, the five-day working week, and everything you learned from that journey. So when we started, Roberts, I was given a blank sheet of paper and I was given a mandate to build it the best way we could. Mm. We were given a blank sheet of paper 25 years into our careers. So we weren't out of uni with no idea. We had a huge amount of lessons learned from operating in the industry. Mm -hmm. And when you look at the industry, the female participation rate in the construction industry is 12.7% nationally. It is the same number it was 35 years ago. It's gone slightly up and slightly down, but it's the same number 35 years ago. We have the second highest gender pay gap according to um, Workplace Gender Equality Agency. We have very high divorce rate. We have very high suicide rate. Construction worker is six times more likely to die from suicide than a workplace accident. Yet everyone shouts safety, but they whisper health. So when you look at all that and you've got a blank sheet of paper to start again, 
The business plan was very simple. It was look back through our careers of what worked, repeat it, what didn't work, don't ever do it again, and try and address the fundamental systemic issues in the industry, and that's what we've tried to do. Mm. Now, if you look at why we don't have enough women in the industry, I'm a prime example. I didn't want to work weekends. I've seen many women, young women, leave the industry to say, I want to have kids, I want to have family, I can't do that. When they look up, they go, I can't do that and be on site. So I'll leave now and get a second career while I'm young enough to. So working hours are a massive inhibitor to women wanting to be in the industry. So when we were tendering Concord Hospital, we said to health infrastructure, with the knowledge of female participation and the suicide rate, you of all clients can't allow someone to die from suicide caused by workplace stress when we are making a hospital to make people better. So... Let's build it five days a week. And they said, to their absolute credit, they said, yes, but please study it. So we engaged Dr. Natalie Galea from the University of New South Wales to study it. There was 345 workers in the study with, and 16 next of kin mm-hmm. who all bar one were wives. Mm-hmm. What we learned and what you would expect, increased in work-life balance. Mm-hmm. We got better relationships on site. We got better relationships with their peers, with their site managers, better relationship to pay, less fatigued, less depressed, happier, healthier, spent more time with their partners, spent more time with their kids, Mm. everything you would expect. Mm -hmm. What I didn't expect and what's been the real revelation for me is the partners said the six-day working week of the construction industry perpetuates a gender stereotype that dad is the breadwinner and mum is the carer. Mm. Because dad's hours are so long and inconsistent, the wives or partners have left work or are not accepting promotions because they know they have to do the lion's share of caring for the kids. We are the third largest industry across the country. So our working hours are constraining women's ability to work in society and that's not okay. And so if we can go back to five days a week, there is no cost and there is no extra time required to work five days a week because we achieved higher productivity, we can get more women into the industry, but we can get more women into the economy. I love that. It's interesting because having worked, yes, I have my own business now, an agency, but I worked with women at John Holland, at, at Downer. Let's be honest as well. Sometimes relationships happen at work as well. So people, you know, may marry a project director and all of them left after they had kids. They, they all left. One other question I've got, which I was talking to someone about this the other day is, Is there a way you feel that we can bring them back? Put any thought to how can we attract maybe those people that have left the industry back? We have attracted some back. Awesome. With five-day working week, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Because they can see they can have a career and they can have a life. Mm. And that goes for dads as well, for Mm. men as well. And there's a big push on women at the moment, but actually need to improve the industry for men and women will benefit. It's not a women's issue, it's a people issue. And so now that I know the impact our working hours have on women at home, on partners at home, and I say women because we're so gendered towards men in in our sector, if I know there's a dad in our office working late, Mm. then I need to get him out the door because there's a wife at home or a partner at home who's left work early to get kids Mm. and that's not okay. So what it means for me is I watch who's in our office Mm. after hours to make sure they're out. Another question 
I guess I've thought of when you were doing this and trialing this five day and studying the five day working week, what was some of the pushback that you got as well? Because you always have to cover that because people see it and they go, oh, you know, this was fantastic, but there's always pushback. What were some of the things that you had to come up against? I still come up against it daily. Yeah. Uh, It's really interesting. It is pushback from the top levels of my peers. Mm -hmm. It is not pushback on site. And it's all pushback from men Mm -hmm. who work five days a week, who did six days a week when they were younger, but now are in a position to work five days a week. And if they knew how many of their staff write to me on LinkedIn and send me messages to say, we love what you're doing, please keep going, we need the industry to change, they would get on board instantly because I get so many messages of support. Mm. The pushback is that it'll take longer, that you've taken a day out of the calendar, you can't possibly be more efficient. Mm. If you think that working five days a week, that I have just taken a day out of the calendar, you will never, ever wrap your head around a five-day working week. If you understand that we are not fully efficient every minute of every hour of every day, Mm -hmm. then you will understand how we've done five days a week because Mm -hmm. we achieve more productivity. Mm -hmm. So we extended the working day from seven till three till seven till five, Mm -hmm. and we asked everyone to work seven till five. So some people say they'll earn less money. They actually don't earn less money. They earn very similar money because they can do 10 hours of overtime mm. during the week. Mm. So the, the overtime they did on Saturday, they can do in the afternoon. And what we saw was far more efficiency on site. When people are tired, they don't get the job done in the same amount of time. Mm. We're a dangerous industry. Mm. So it's irrational to work people 50, 60, 70 hours a week and think they'll be safe. And there's a huge amount of research out there that says after 40 hours, your efficiency drops. Mm. So we're talking about people working 50 hours a week. It's still a big week, Mm. but they're just more efficient and they're getting it done the first time, not the second or third time. And what are your thoughts around, so you talk about safety and well-being at work as well. We all know that we don't think as clearly when we're tired, right? When we're working long hours, and these are people that are making big decisions and operating. There's lots of machinery and moving parts. Do you think that there's links around, or what are your thoughts around workplace incidences and safety issues by having a five day and lessening the hours people are working? Do you think that that it will improve that side of it as well? Absolutely, yeah. definitely. And we saw a safer site at Concord working yeah. five days a week. Yep, okay. absolutely. Direct correlation. In terms of your drivers, you came into construction, loved the industry, and then I feel like you came up with the vision of wanting the five-day working week and that's come from something for you. What was it or what is it that drives you? What difference do you want to make in the world? I have to say I stand on the shoulders of giants. It's not my idea. I have leveraged off people who have done it before. Lendlease did it at a job in Brisbane years ago and it was very, very successful and it was done when I was at Lendlease. Queensland, Hutchies have been doing it in Queensland for quite a number of years. Mm-hmm. I have just really, really pushed it and vocally pushed it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not an original idea though and I, I very proudly stand on the shoulders of giants. You know, it's, it's not mine. What pushed me to do it? When I was at Multiplex, the culture was very, very hard there. It was very addictive. It was very hard and, and I loved working at Multiplex. But it was kind of one person had to do two jobs. And when I got to Lend-Lease, it was almost like, or three people for two jobs, sorry. And I looked at it and I was like, why do I need all these people? But suddenly 
I got my life back. I was a mum returning after maternity leave. I had a 13-month-old at home and I could see that I could actually have a career and I could have a life. Mm. And in 2008 when I was at Maltese, my best friend was went to Dubai uh, for a job interview and he was hit and killed by a car and it was enormously challenging for me at the time and it took me a long time to deal with it. And up until that point, I had lived and breathed work. And so many times Ian would invite me somewhere and I'd say, I can't, I've got this deal. He was in the industry. He worked for Broad Constructions. And I'd say to him, I've got a deal, I've got a tender. He'd be like, yep, go and win it. And he understood what the industry was like. So it was always okay for me not to be there. I can never, ever get that time back. And do I regret it? Enormously. My husband used to say to me, why do you work so hard? I'd be like, why don't you work hard? But he actually had it right and I had it wrong and I was addicted to work. And so when I went to Lend-Lease and I needed to go there, I needed to see there was a different way you could do it. Mm. And so when we founded Roberts, it was about let's do this the right way, let's build a better way, Mm. let's give people their lives but let's also give them a really fulfilling career and make sure they don't have to decide because we are one of the only industries where you have to choose and no one should ever choose. Yeah. I think that's really powerful that you had at a moment where you, you looked back and, and realised you, you were ad- addicted to work. And I'm interested around as well having, only because it personally affected me, but having a family, when you had a child as well, it's such a changing experience to be responsible for another human, you know, and all the stuff that they come at you with at the end of the day. Yeah. You're like, you've had a big day and then there's this small human that's like, right, I'm, you're ready for round two. Exactly. And I think people feel, because I do know a lot of people that have taken a time off for maternity leave and then are, are wanting to come back and some of them have left the construction industry. So tell us about some of the skills you've learned from being a parent that you feel translate to the workplace. Apart from negotiating with a two-year-old, but yeah. I look at maternity leave now and when I went on maternity leave, I always thought we had to fix the industry for women. In many respects, women are protected by law. We've got all the maternity leave policies and everything. And what I learned on maternity leave, my husband left home at 8 o'clock in the morning and he was home at 6 o'clock at night and I was desperate for him to get home at 6 o'clock at night to give me a break. And I had a perfect child. He ate, he slept, he was happy. Yeah. It suddenly dawned on me that dads go to work Monday to Saturday and the wives of construction workers are single parents Monday to Saturday. They don't get any help from their dads. The dads don't see the kids. And when we started Roberts, we were tendering and we'd submitted a big tender and our project manager left early and he must have left it. It wasn't early. It was 5 o'clock. might have been 4.30. And he came in the next day and I said, how were the boys? He had twin boys. And he said, you know, they were in the bath last night got home in time for bath and books and bed. And they said, Daddy, what day is it today? Is it soccer tomorrow? And he said, no, no, it's Tuesday. It's kindy tomorrow. And they said, but when you're home, we go to soccer the next day because he's home on a Saturday. Oh, wow. And I thought, right, I need to make sure we change this. When I look at women on maternity leave, when I came back from maternity leave, I was told we don't want to give you your old job back because the guy that's been doing it might resign. And I said, well, that's called illegal. Uh, At the same time, Lendlease rang and said, we know you're a returning mum. We know you're going to be on reduced hours, but we want you to come and run our biggest business unit. So I did. And it was an enormous blessing for me because I got to see a different way of working. When women are on maternity leave, companies don't pay them, don't give them a pay rise, they don't give them a bonus. But the way I look at it, 
is in that year women have done a one-year residential on leadership that you didn't have to pay for. Because if you look at a leadership course, it'll say managing competing timetables, managing competing interests, operating under conflict, as you say, negotiating with a two-year-old, you learn about strategy pretty early. I know I am a better manager as a mother than I was pre-children. And so, yes, women's technical skills have not changed in that year, but their leadership skills did, and that's what you need to recognise them for when they return from mat leave. And when you have a baby, everything in your life changes except your job. So don't take it away from a woman. And I vowed that I will never, ever take a woman's job away when she returns from maternity leave. Where we can, we promote women going on to maternity leave so they come back to the new role and they don't have to ask. And return to work coaching for the mum and for the manager so that they understand they are going to be on reduced hours. They are going to be sick because that kid's going through the germ factory for the next three years. I think when I returned, I was on six rounds of antibiotics in the first six months and I never get sick. That's sick all the time, kids. Yeah. But Matt was at daycare, so I got everything that yeah. he got. Yeah. So we have to look at it and be understanding. We've just rolled out our new parental leave policy at work. We've got 18 weeks for primary carer, three weeks for secondary carer, and the first person that applied was a dad, and he's currently on 18-week paternity leave. I'm so pleased. Yeah. I think it's really interesting when you talk about, I want to go back to something that you talked about before, which is an interesting topic to discuss, which was when you partnered this five-day working week, you talk about being this sitting on the shoulders of giants. And I think one of the things that is important to discuss is, is clients' involvement in this and how the client impacts the contractor and how they deliver a project and how we can make the industry better through partnering with the clients to deliver these outcomes. What do you see the client's involvement needing to be to improve the industry? Clients actually need to care about people and not profit. Yeah. If I put my tender in and said it's 24 months, it's $100 million and I'll kill three people, no one would buy it. That is the reality of what is happening. You just can't see the suicide figures. Yeah. They're buried. We don't report them. And a death is not an LTI and clients ask you for LTI figures. Mm. You die, you literally fall off the stats. Mm. So if a project takes a week longer and it takes two weeks longer, why would you push back on that and say, no, it needs to be done six days a week to make my program? Because I'm not okay with someone dying on a site. Mm. Now, we know there is no impact to time to work five days a week. We are one of the most inefficient industries and all we're doing is asking people to work more efficiently. Mm. What we saw at Concord, by way of example, the subcontractors started to drive program. So they'd say to us, you're pouring the deck on Friday and we'd say the deck's not ready and they'd say to us, the deck will be ready, we'll do the overtime to get the deck ready, you pour. Because they knew if we didn't pour on Friday, the form workers had nowhere to go on Monday. They needed the deck to start to get their men to keep going. And so they worked with us to get the efficiency in the cycle times and they pushed. The workers knew, yes, we might do a bit of overtime, but we get two whole days to rest Mm -hmm. on weekends. Mm -hmm. And so... If you think about, and you will understand this, working mums returning from being a mum at home and working and having kids, they are enormously efficient. They get in at 9 o'clock and they leave at 4 or 5 because they know they have to do drop off and pick up. All you're doing is putting that mentality into a construction worker. Stop checking your Instagram and your Facebook and your Twitter and your TikTok 
and just do your job yeah. and then go home. Yeah. And that's it. It's not hard. It's not rocket science. But again, it's if you think I've just taken a day out of the program, you'll never understand it. You've got to go to what is the efficiency that we are achieving mm-hmm. in those hours. And if Saturday was paid at half time, no one would do it. It's paid at double time. Mm. So don't do it today. Do it tomorrow when you'll get double time. We're rewarding slow behaviour. Mm. And what's really interesting about all of it is the union is enormously supportive of it. The union can see the benefit for their workers, for their members, mm. and they're supportive of it. Yeah. So I have no pushback from the unions. No. And people will sometimes say to a working mother, how do you fit it all in? Well, you make it work because you need to. You just do. And you learn how to become more efficient, work smarter, not harder, focus on your income generating tasks, know all of that during that time. Yeah. And that's just that mindset that you're creating in a construction site. Yeah, exactly. So Sitting on the shoulders of giants, I love that because you're honouring the people that you work with. And I think no person does it alone. It's those relationships and it's a team effort. Tell us about some of your mentors that have shaped you. Oh, I have so many. (laughs) I have been very, very lucky that I've had two internal sponsors. So if you look at the benefit of sponsorship, my career was built by two men. Mm -hmm. The first company I worked at, which is now Architectus, John Humphreys was my first boss. Mm -hmm. And every time John went to site, and I was still studying at the time, he took me on every site visit he went. And he put me on every training course. There could be Word, Excel, PowerPoint, everything. So he was amazing for me. And then when I got to Multiplex, my boss who was three levels above me, a man named Jim McGreevy, every time Jim got promoted, he pulled me with him. And so I have never had to ask for a promotion in my career. Everything's been offered to me. At one stage I turned it down and Jim came back a year later and he said, you need to do it this time. And I didn't know what to do. In the end I said to him, you've never done anything wrong by me. I'm going to trust you that this is the right decision for me. Mm. And within six months I was a director of the business. So I rode on Jim's coattails. He's the most amazing man. I still talk to him today and I am so grateful to him for that. When I was at Maltese, I had a coach. When I was at Lendlease, I had a coach. I still have coaches and mentors today. And the the way I look at it, Tiger Woods was the best golfer in the world. He still had a coach. Mm. I don't know what I don't know and I'm very open about that at work. I have never built a company from scratch. Mm. So when we were starting, I had a lady come in to be our HR manager on contract and she said to me, you need to tell me what you want. And I said, I don't know. I know what output I get from HR, but I don't know what you do to make that work. You need to tell me what you're going to do. I don't know what I don't know. Yeah. And I'm very open with that. So it gives people a level of comfort in the company that you don't have to know everything and it's okay to say, I don't know. Mm. And I think that's where a lot of leaders get into trouble is that they feel like they have to know and then they'll make a decision and they'll shoot from the hip and then they can't undo it. I say to the team all the time, I need to sleep on it. I'll tell you tomorrow. I don't know. Mm. I am very well supported and I have a husband who's in the industry as well. He's in property and Paul is invaluable to me because I can go home, I can say to him, this happened today and he'll be like, why did you do that? Or he'll be, that's really good. If I'm talking about a deal, I can say to him, if I propose this to you as a client, what would you say? And he'll be like, just think about this and this and this, or that's really good, or wow, that's amazing. And he tells it to me straight down the line. And I'm interested, it sounds like you've had some really powerful 
men that have championed you and supported Absolutely. you, which is yeah. so important. And with that, that relationship that you've developed through those mentors, was it something where you approached them? Because I, I interviewed a previous guest and she approached the CEO of, of Queensland Rail and said, I want you to mentor me. I was like, good on you. So how did you develop that relationship with them to be your mentor? Because I'd love for more women to have that opportunity as well. Was it something that naturally happened? Yeah, or? It was, yeah. It, it's something that naturally happened. Yeah, yeah. I haven't approached people. Yeah. And one of my mentors is a woman. Yeah. And I met her. At a PCA breakfast, I spoke at a breakfast, I don't even know when, it was probably 10 years ago, and we struck up a conversation and we go and have tea at Balmoral Mm. and I value her input enormously. Um, And and her business is all about people. Yeah. So I have a very different conversation with Caroline than I do with my husband or my coaches. Yes. And so you won't find one size fits all. It will be different people. But to your point that I've had really powerful men supporting me I have and the only people I've had really that cut my legs off in a direct line sense were women mm-hmm. yep which is really disappointing and let's be honest let's put it out on the table it does happen I've had it happen to me as well and okay. it's disgusting yeah and why do you feel that that is happening because at the end of the day I come from a mindset it's an abundance there's enough success for everyone and more women doing better means we all do better as an industry as a group, mm. why do you think that is still happening? The ones who I've seen do it would not get there on their own. Okay. They're not strong candidates. Right. And so it's an insecurity thing. Yeah. There's only one seat, so it's going to be mine and you're not going to have it. Yeah. Dr. Kirsten Ferguson says it beautifully that you shouldn't throw down a ladder. You need to throw down a fishing net and bring up as many women as you can at the same time. Yes. And that's what I'm trying to do. It's not about me. It's about the generations that follow behind us to make it better for them and so that they can enjoy the careers we've had um, and they don't have to ask where the toilet is or can I have PPE that fits me or. Yeah, yeah. I'm really interested in as well being a parent and going through this journey and creating a culture for a business, thinking of your child, your son, what values, now you know everything you know and you've gone through this career, mm-hmm. both you and your husband are in this industry, what values do you feel are important to instill in our children? So working with, with him as a child, what values do you want him to have? I think the most important thing in business is that relationships matter mm-hmm. and you're no more important than anyone else. I get a lot of people write to me on LinkedIn and I write back to every single one and it might take me time but I write back to every single one because if you take me out of work, and you take my title away, I am just a mum at Woolies and I am no more important than anyone else. And I see so many people in a senior position who go, well, I don't need to talk to you, so I won't, and they don't write back to you. And if we can all focus on the fact that relationships actually matter. I had a coffee before um, coming here today with a subcontractor I met 22 years ago. And he's a fabulous person and, you know, greeted me with a kiss. And that's important because I know if he's on one of our jobs and I ring him up and say, hey, I've got an issue, can you please help? He will because we've got a relationship. And so, and that's why I love in construction. I I used to love as I'd be on site, I was on site for eight years talking to the crane crews Mm -hmm. and talking to the crane drivers on the back of the trucks in the morning. And I still do it on the site next to our office because they keep it real. Mm you're just another person to them. They don't let you get ahead of yourself. And I think that's what's really important for our kids. 
Yeah. Somebody I interviewed a couple of episodes before made the comment, construction is one of those sites you can pull up in your car and on one side you might have a Jag and the other side you might have a motorbike <laughs> you know, in the same site. So it's just got such diversity in the, in the industry and you're dealing with the different people in different positions. I love that, that you do reply and you do reply. You replied to me, <laughs> you know, and you are very open and warm in it and it's nice. It's, it's refreshing. So what about your daily routine? I'm going to ask about that. So you talk about coaching and mindset and it's no secret I'm passionate about that because in my business, we do onboarding coaching through recruitment. But tell me more about what you do to get your mindset right. Because with all that coaching, I'm sure that there's been some work done around that. Yes. So my husband will tell you I get up far too early for the time that I need to get out the house, but I I like to take my time in the morning. Love that. So on two mornings, I'm up at five o'clock and I have a personal trainer at 5.30 in the morning. By the time I get home, my son's just waking up. So he's unaware that I've been to the gym and done my routine, but I need to just for my mental health and fitness. I like to take Matt to school where I can. My husband retired this year, uh, so he does drop-offs now. I only do one day a week on his golf morning. Yep. Uh, but it's a really nice time to take Matt to school, so I don't get into the office till between 8.30 and 9 o'clock. I have to have a cup of tea in my hand before you can talk to me. I don't have to drink <laughs> it. I just need to be holding it. So everyone knows, just let her come in, put a handbag down, set a computer up and get her tea, and then she'll talk to you. Then from there, my day is very much what everyone needs whether it's talking to clients, to subbies or whatever the team needs. Mm. And it's not really about my job. It's about making sure the team needs everyone, everything that they need to to succeed. Mm. I leave work at um, 5, 5.30. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I pick up Matt. Uh, when Paul was working, it was very much split. It was what have you got on, what have I got on, who's doing pick-up. Pick-up's a really, really special time because in that three-minute drive home you get the day and the next parent that talks to Matt, how was your day? I can't remember. It's true. So you have to be the one to do drop-off. So there's a bit of a fight to see who who can do pick-up, sorry, uh, to get the story from him. We then um, get home, have dinner. We both uh, are in the bathroom when Matt has his bath. That's a really nice family time for us. And then one of us does stories and, and bed. And then I do log on to my computer. Yeah. Uh, And I make that conscious choice because I want to get out of my head what's in my head. All my emails go on delay send though, so my staff don't get them. They go out the next day. So no one is aware of what time I work to. Mm. The reality is I only work to 9.30 because I'm tired and I go to bed. (laughs) It's interesting. I like that you delay the send because there is sometimes that perception if people are sending, you know, emails out of hours is, oh, should I have been reading that at that time? Or we've got a little note on our signature saying, we work flexibly. We don't expect you to respond. You know, it's generally because we might've been doing a pickup or taking a child to a hobby and you're jumping back on to see, you know, to prepare yourself for the next day and make it easier for the next day. Okay. I have a couple of other questions just around very much love project five, but I'm keen to hear from you your proudest moment from that. So there's got to be some, I'm sure you've had some amazing stories, but if you look back on that, was there a moment where you kind of went, you know, I'm just really proud of what we've done here, where somebody's maybe had a real personal impact that they've shared with you? Uh, one of my crane drivers did the maths for me and he said for every year they work on Project 5, they get an extra six weeks of leave per annum. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's not in one block, but it is six weeks that they're not at work. Yeah. For every eight years they work on a five-day site, they get an entire year with their family. Wow. 
And if you put that through a 40-year career, that's five years of time they get back with their family. So when I go to our sites that are working five days a week and I see the smiles on the faces, it makes it all worth it. When I get messages on LinkedIn, what you're doing, please keep going. It's the adrenaline I need to keep hitting my head against the brick wall to go, to keep Mm. going. Mm. When we did the launch of Project 5, the research, it was a pretty amazing day because health infrastructure, who were enormously supportive of it, stood up and said, this is what we want on our projects moving forward. Mm. So we'd made a significant shift. And Gabrielle Trainer, who's the chair of the Cultural Task Force, stood up and said, this is the future. To see John Holland's follow on Ramwick Kids, Mm -hmm. to see Icon come out in the paper and say uh, we're going to do five-day programs on all of our tenders, to see Department of Defence put it in a tender briefing recently, Mm. you kind of think, you sit back and you think, yeah, we've made a difference. Yeah, and I think you absolutely have. And that's the moment where you know it's all worth it, you know, all the the banging the head against the the ball of feelings at times. Yeah, thank you. Okay. Last question that until we do rocket round, which is kind of my favourite round, uh, what do you hope has changed in the industry by the time you retire? I really would like it to be five days a week. Yeah. The female participation rate is the same it was 35 years ago. Stop mm-hmm. talking about I've got a graduate program or I've got a cadet program or I'm going to employ women. You actually need to have fundamental systemic change because the time for talk is over. Mm. We're done. Nothing has been achieved in 35 years. So everything you're trying, stop, mm. keep going, but it's not, you're not going to shift the dial. So we need a massive shift to change it. Um, and so I really hope we're, we're building five days a week. The industry was not always a six-day-week industry. Mm. In the early 90s, when interest rates went to 17%, that was when the industry changed to six days a week. Mm. The cost of time was enormous. And so builders put the six day in to save time. The cost of time now is negligible. But we are an industry when we give an inch, it's gone and we never recalibrate. And now we need to recalibrate in a significant way. I said to someone the other day, I said, we need to stop worrying about getting more women in the industry and start thinking about how to keep them there. A hundred percent. Because 100%. that's the biggest thing. It's all well and good to do all this work, go out to schools. And don't get me wrong, that, that's great. But what about when they land here, when they have a family, when, they, when they're looking at it, you know, compared to other industries? Like even just simple as looking at design versus construction. Oh, I could sit in a design office and I could sit here or I could sit in an architecture office or I could work at the moment six days a week, not yes. have more skiing on weekends, you know. So we need to just think of that, you know. Exactly. To keep, to keep them there. And it has been an enormous recruitment tool for me. Mm. So many people, and I didn't anticipate that, but so many people saying, I want to work for you. Yeah. I want to work five days a week and stay in the industry. Amazing. And, and everyone's going, skill shortage, what do we do? And Alison just sitting here going, <laughs> <laughs> as people are just messaging on LinkedIn. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Don't worry, you know, you carry on with your way. I'll just do my five day and I'll have some people reach out. Well, that's the thing, right? People have got a choice where they want to work now. Yeah. We are in a constrained labour market. And you've also talked as well around, and I did want to touch on it, we've spoken previously around the salary gap that you've, when you've brought women in, tell us about that. Everything we do is founded in decency. Mm. And part of that is that we set salary bands for the different levels in the organisation and we employ into them. Mm. A, a little bit for shits and giggles in interviews, we ask people what your salary is. Yeah. Uh, 
And 25% of the people we have employed, the women we have employed into Roberts, we have fixed their salaries, some by up to 40%. Wow. Now, I employ out of the big end of town Mm. and they all stand up and say they don't have a gender pay gap. I can tell you they do Mm. because I've seen it. Mm. So, and interestingly, when we said to the women, okay, well, that was your salary, this is what we're offering you, they're like, oh, that's too much money. And we're like, no, actually, that's what you're worth. Mm. And that's what we'll pay you. Yeah. It's about not looking about what you can get away with paying at someone, but paying them fairly and equitably. And if we didn't have decency, we would have saved a lot on our salary bill. The sad part is I have not had to fix one man's salary. Wow. This is not even when you've got the percentage and you've got this compounding it as well. I think that... that (laughs) That it's, a, it's important to have that conversation and I hope some of the people that are listening that employ, you know, in organisations think about it. This is someone's income. This is some their livelihood, how they feed their families. Yes. It's not a cost-saving exercise. It's not a deal about how cheaply I can get away with employing someone. Totally. Okay. Rocket round. <laughs> I already know the answer to one of those these questions because we talked about cats before, but I won't give it away. Kind of just did. Favourite book. I've just read a really good book called Emotional Female. Okay. Okay. It's awesome. A, it's about a Japanese doctor and the biases she experienced as a Japanese doctor in Australia, even though she was born here, and being a female doctor. And as I was reading it, I was like, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> Resonates? Yeah. Okay. Emotional. Emotional Female. Female. Okay. Great book. Sounds like a great book. Uh, and favourite holiday destination? I'd have to say Beaver Creek in Colorado. Oh, wow. Okay. We're, we're skiers. Yeah, okay. Awesome. Cats or dogs? Cats. <laughs> How many though? <laughs> I've got one named Roger. Oh, Roger. I, yeah. I love it. It's Roger. <laughs> Do you foresee yourself being a crazy cat lady one no. day or just sticking with Roger? <laughs> no, I've you don't got want Roger. Roger, Bill, Bob. No. No, the last cat was Trevor. This one's Roger. <laughs> I just love that. <laughs> okay. Uh, coffee or wine? I'd have to go wine because I don't drink coffee. Yeah, yeah. Oh, but what if it was wine or tea? I'd go G and T. Yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> White Christmas or summer Christmas? Summer. Yeah. Uh, what podcast are you listening to right now? Uh, so I am listening to Trace. Trace. And what's Trace about? So Trace is, uh, I think it's on, from the ABC, and it was about uh, Nicola Gobbo, Lawyer X. Okay. Yeah, yeah. very interesting. All right. I've got too many to listen to now because everyone's told me a podcast that sounds amazing. And what makes you feel like you're home? Uh, that would have to be my husband and my son Yeah, being with family. Nice. And when we built our house, we designed it. I said to Paul, I want to design it so that when I get home, I feel like I'm in a hotel, like I'm away. Yeah. So when we're at home, we actually don't feel like we need to leave. We have a beautiful home and being with those two, my two boys. Okay, this is the, the interest in me. What do you mean by designing it like a hotel? Like so it feels like you're in a nice hotel? Is that yeah, the so it's just cool. it's a beautiful home. It's got, it's really nicely fitted out and it feels really luxurious but yeah. it's very homely. And so I don't feel like I have to go away. It's got everything we want. You know, we've got a pool. My husband has Manland with pinball machine and a <laughs> games table and, you know, the old Space Invaders table like you had in the milk bar when you were growing up and a pool table. And nice. um, it's just got everything that we want in it and really nicely done so it feels like a really luxurious hotel. It's like home's like a haven for yeah, you. Yeah, absolutely. You 
Everything you need is there. Yeah, the man. I love the idea of the man cave. That sounds amazing. <laughs> I feel really guilty for making my husband throw out all his computer parts a little while back because that essentially was his man cave. But anyway, look, thank you so much for coming oh, on for the podcast. Me. You've shared such great content. And I really hope that some people that are listening today get some insights for their own career. Um, but also if you are hiring and you are making those decisions that you, you know, take some personal accountability for making the industry better. So Absolutely. thank you so much. And thank you. Um, that's it thanks for listening to Building Doors if you've got comments or questions send them to hello at buildingdoors.com.au and remember to subscribe rate and review see you next time